This is the SBI Show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivis Kolarsep. And if you're listening to this, it is probably Friday. That's when this episode is going to drop. I am recording it late Thursday evening, but uh, TGIF, it's safe to say, because it's been a crazy, crazy week. Uh, whether it's snowstorms on the East Coast, uh, a, a storm of Americans uh, landing in Europe at the transfer deadline, uh, a, a, a deluge of goals by the U.S. men's national team in their first game in 2021, uh, and then we also have news in MLS raining down, uh, still waiting on the lockout or non-lockout talk, um, labor negotiations still ongoing, no lockout as of yet, and as I said, have gone on record as saying, we've seen this all before, we know what's going to happen, it's going to get worked out. So always posturing, it's always back and forth, threats, deadlines, extensions, deal. Deal's going to get done, folks. I feel pretty good about it. We've seen it. This is like my fifth, sixth one since I've been covering the league. And we know what happens. We know what happens. But uh, we'll see. Keep our fingers crossed because no one, no one wants, no one wants a lockout. No one wants an extended lockout. But we'll talk about that later. Uh, we have so much, so much to get to. And uh, one thing, good news, we have a lot of topics to discuss. The bad news, we do not have any guests on this episode and I'd like to say I'd like to pretend that that is how it was planned but you know the best laid the best laid plans of mice and men uh, I've got some interview requests in in the in the pipeline and I, I rest assured we will have guests very soon um, but the good news is we have so many things to talk about that you know it will have a pretty good sized show just talking on all the different uh, topics that we have to get to and we're going to start right off the bat talking about Americans abroad and what a transfer deadline it was and what a January transfer window it was for Americans uh, heading over to Europe or Americans moving within Europe to other teams. And, you know, we, we knew we knew it was going to be a busy January and even more so with the the threat of a, of a lockout and with teams looking to maybe make, you know, short term loans. We know the MLS season is going to start in April at the earliest, right? So you, you have teams figured out, look, we can we can send a player to Europe, have them play February, March, maybe April, have them come back before the May, before the close of the MLS transfer window, right? So they come back and then they have, a, you know, a few months of game time, a few months of, of training time under their belts and potentially boosting their transfer value and if they crush it maybe they stay maybe there's a transfer uh a permanent transfer for those that that made loan moves but first things first we have to talk about the the loan that will be a transfer brian reynolds completes his move to as roma uh it will start out as a loan it will turn into a, a sale in the summer uh 8.5 million is is the reports that's what i've been told obviously there's bonuses and and there's there's a lot of uh triggers in there that can bring, can definitely move it up to the eight figure uh territory which would then make it push it closer to the alfonso davies uh level of of biggest homegrown player deals uh in the history of mls and it would surpass uh, Brendan Aronson for the biggest American homegrown player deal. So big, big deal for Reynolds. And it, it was great to just see him kind of, you know, make the move after everything that he went through. And 
it was not, but it was by no means an easy process. Um, everything that happened, uh, including him getting COVID-19 that, that was kind of kept under wraps. Um, you know, there, there was all kinds of issues. He had to get his passport renewed. Uh, then the whole COVID-19 thing happened. And obviously that wasn't put out in the public, but that was kind of a known thing. He went to U.S. national team camp, the U23 camp. He had, he got COVID-19. Same thing with Julian Arahu, Julian Arahu, COVID-19. But uh, Reynolds makes the move, and now we'll see if he he can play against Juventus over the weekend and Weston McKinney. And his, I think that'd be a great storyline. But is it going to happen? That'd be a little ambitious. He just got there. He's going to have a less than a week of training. I don't think they're going to throw him in that quickly. And obviously, he's having recovered from COVID, even though he was it was an asymptomatic episode for him. You have to wonder: is he really going to be ready to play right off the bat? I think he might need more time than that. So, but still, great the, the deal got done, and it was just one of a handful of pretty interesting moves. Chris Richards uh, leaves Bayern Munich, goes on loan to Hoffenheim, and the great thing about that move is it's a chance for playing time, for more playing time in the Bundesliga, and he's joining a manager who he knows very well, who was his manager with uh, Bayern two, Bayern Munich two in the in the third Bundesliga. Uh, they won the three Liga. They won the league and, and, and with uh, Bayern two, and he was the manager. And now he's reunited. He knows Chris Chris Richards well. Richards was a starter on that team, key player on that that uh, three Liga winning side. And you, you hope that Chris Richards can get some regular playing time to really throw his name into that conversation for for starting center backs because we know it's a wide open race right now. John Brooks is one starter when he's healthy, and then the other one is wide open. You have Aaron Long, you have Mark McKenzie now, uh, you have uh, Matt Miazga, Walker Zimmerman, Miles Robinson, uh, who, we, who we'll talk about a little bit later uh, with his performance against uh, Trinidad and Tobago, but we'll get to that later. Uh, but Chris Richards, great move for him. I've said for so long now, he is the future of the center back position, and for my money, he will eventually be the be one of the starting center backs for the United States. He's that good. He has all the tools and as long as he stays on this right path where where he's, you know, being taken care of and being, you know, kind of eased in and and given the right opportunities. I mean, he he has all the talent in the world and really if you're asking me who to who I'm betting on in terms of center backs, young American center backs, he he's definitely the one for me still. So we'll see how that move works out for him. Another player on the move, DeAndre Yedlin. His time at Newcastle is over, and he has joined Turkish giants Galatasaray. And this was a this was an interesting move. Galatasaray has has been after Yedlin for some time now. They've been very aggressive. Newcastle obviously early on made made things difficult. They they were looking for a, a real transfer fee, and this was in the summer, right? In the summer, there were several teams that were interested. Newcastle was not budging on on what the deal that they were going to accept because as far as Newcastle was concerned, DeAndre Ellen was somebody that should be able to fetch a transfer fee. Other teams felt differently. Other teams wanted loans. They wanted to, you know, maybe pay his salary or pay a portion of his pretty considerable uh, Premier League salary. Um, and then what happens? Yedlin's work permit expires. His visa expires. So he goes from you know, emerging off the bench at Newcastle and getting a run of good starts for Newcastle and, and all of a sudden being a useful commodity, a useful player in their roster to being a player they can't even use, right? So all of a sudden they have this player they don't, they can't use. They're paying him a pretty good amount of money. At that point, they just had to get rid of him. And who's still sitting around interested in Yedlin? Galatasaray. They never stopped being interested. 
they pounced on the opportunity and then they gave him a contract. Uh, I don't have the figures in front of me, but it's a very, very uh, lucrative contract that he signed with Galatasaray, a, a deal that pays him, my understanding, uh, more net than he was making at Newcastle and significantly more than he could have made if he had come to MLS. And and I know I've, I've mentioned it before, I've reported it before that MLS was, there were MLS teams interested in him. And at various points this offseason, there were teams that were positioning themselves, that were looking at him, that were interested, didn't work out. Um, it was never really close, but there were teams that were definitely making making some moves there. My understanding, I think the Columbus crew at some point was interested, but obviously they made a bunch of other moves. You know, when you go get a Bradley Wright Phillips and a Kevin Molino, they, they made some pretty nice moves um, to balance out their roster. And as much as I'm sure Caleb Porter would have liked to reunite with DeAndre Yedlin, he moved on. He made, he made some other moves. He did reunite with Perry Kitchen, which uh, you know how much Caleb Porter loves his Akron boys. And it was always inevitable that he'd end up with Perry Kitchen again. But I've, Gone off on a little tangent here. DeAndre Yellen at Galatasaray, a very good club. Uh, he's going to you know, get consistent uh, opportunities to play in European competition. Galatasaray is a, a perennial European competitor. So, I mean, that's a good one for him. And, you know, what does that mean for his national team prospects? Obviously, right back is, is a super competitive position now. Um, with so many people coming up the pipeline. Reggie Cannon is obviously doing his thing. Brian Reynolds, obviously, is someone who you have to think is on the fast track. Um, Aaron Herrera is playing well now. Uh, Kyle Duncan, there's quite a few. And obviously, Serginho Dest is your, you know, is he the starter at right back? Is he starter at left back? Point is, DeAndre Yellen, uh, he's facing a real uphill battle for the national team, but still, this move for me is a good one for him because obviously Galatasaray really, really wanted him, and they're going to give him every opportunity to show what he can do. So we'll see. We'll see what how that works out for him. If there was a surprise move of the January uh, deadline in terms of Americans, it had to be Daryl DK joining uh, league championship side Barnsley in alone and and this one was a this one was a very very under the radar move and it ended up being contingent on Daryl DK playing for the United States in their first game of 2021 because by him playing in that game he was able to get the uh, the necessary points to qualify for a UK work permit and to be clear the it's not as if Greg Berlder wasn't going to play him or it isn't as if he wasn't worthy of the points it wasn't a freebie it wasn't a gimme. It wasn't a Berhalter wink, wink, doing a favor to a guy who otherwise would not have been called in. It was not, it was more a case of, you know, Barnsley and 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 DK's people kind of working it out and and realizing that you know what he's probably going to get this appearance, uh, and I'm sure they worked it out with Berhalter, so he made sure he got the appearance, and now DK can go to England and build on what was an incredible rookie season. Um, and guess what? If he crushes it in this short loan spell with Barnsley, uh, all of a sudden you're talking about opening a whole new market for Daryl DK. And we know in England they love they love a big striker. They love a big and mobile target striker. And to be clear, uh, the loan to Barnsley has a has a a fee has a you know a, a sale price on it. I believe it was like twenty million dollars. It was some exorbitant number, right? Twenty million dollars, twenty million pounds, whatever it was. It's a price that Barnsley is not going to pay. It's not. It's more than they spend, right? But 
if he crushes it, let's say he goes there and he really lights it up. If Daryl DK lights it up in England and all of a sudden you have other teams checking in and other teams, you know, from the Premier League and they see an opportunity there, they see, you know, a player who at his age, we're talking about a 20 year old player, uh, 20 year old striker, tons of potential, uh, at a at a reasonable price and we know that right now the market is hot for Americans young Americans maybe he plays himself into a real big money transfer and and that's that, that's the benefit of it and that's why it's good to see a team like Orlando City open that door and and take full advantage of that opportunity and you know, it's important. It's important for players to have that opportunity. It's important for teams to work with their players uh, to make sure that, you know, if there's a good opportunity there that could benefit all parties involved, that you go through with that. And you know what? Good luck to Daryl DK because if he lights it up, there's no there's no telling where he could go from there. And the last move of the window uh, had to be Paul Ariola completing his move, his loan to Swansea City. And this one was definitely last minute uh, completed deal. And Paul Ariola joins Jordan Morris in uh, at Swansea City. And we'll see what these two Americans can do. Jordan Morris, obviously, you know, he's still uh, working to get his, you know, get his opportunities to get his minutes at Swansea City, you know, now that he's there. And now Paul Ariola is going to join him. And again, we're talking about a team that is in contention for promotion to the Premier League, right? So they're a good team. They're already a team that's playing well. So it's not a given that these guys are going to walk right into the starting lineup. That That's it's a little unrealistic, but it's going to be a great challenge for both of them. And, and, you, and you like to think that they'll both be able to help the Swans as they march and try to gain promotion. And if one or both of them plays well enough to, you know, facilitate a sale, all the better. I think that's, you know, I don't see that happening. I think Ariola is definitely more of a kind of a short-term uh, he'll go, he'll come back, and, and you know what? It'll be good for him to, to have gotten that experience. But Morris, though, I think Morris is absolutely someone who, you know, if he gets the opportunity and he gets a chance to play on a regular basis and really show what he can do, he could absolutely end up staying in England. And who knows? Maybe he's in the Premier League next season with Swansea. So uh, we'll see what happens. But that that was that was the rundown on the internet on the uh, transfer window for Americans. Tyler Boyd also made a move in Turkey. He, he finally got away from Besiktas and the and the kind of train wreck they had there with their roster. And now he'll hopefully get an opportunity to get some consistent minutes, so he can put himself in the frame to be in contention for a place on one of the U.S. teams this summer. I don't see him getting called in for the March friendlies, but absolutely. If he plays well and he can and he gets a nice run of form, he has to be someone who's considered for one of these teams when you're talking about Nations League, um, Gold Cup, and obviously, you know, World Cup qualifying in the fall. But we'll see if Boyd can put himself back in the picture. And now getting away from uh, the Americans abroad transfer deadline uh, deluge, um, we should talk a little about Aaron Long and... I mean, that is related to that, but we'll get away from the completed deals and talk a little bit about the deal that didn't get done. Aaron Long was, uh, he had some, there was there were opportunities there for him to go, whether it was on loan, whether it was a transfer. Obviously, he was linked to Liverpool. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm sure his name was on a list of possibilities, but was he someone who Jurgen Klopp, you know, was by name, you know, saying, okay, I want Aaron Long, make it happen. I don't think, I think it was more of a case of, you know, he was, he was, when they, you know, Liverpool, obviously they do their due diligence and they come up with a nice sized list of options and, and possibilities. I'm sure he made that list, but obviously they went, and got two other uh, two other center backs. They, they got Ben Davies uh, from Preston. They, they and then they obviously got the the center back from Tur- uh, 
from Schalke, uh, the young Turkish center back. And now Aaron Long didn't get the move. He didn't get a chance to move. And and I know people are going to be like, why did not? Why didn't the Red Bulls? let him go. The way it's basically being portrayed is that, look, they have a new coach and Aaron Long is a very important part of what they're going to do in terms of rebuilding, right? They traded away Tim Parker. They bring in Andres Reyes. Uh, they want to get Long and Reyes uh, familiar with each other. Are the Red Bulls going to switch to a three-back? Are they going to go 3-5-2 this, this season? Their new their their head coach is is known to to favor that, that system. So you, you want to see if you're the Red Bulls, you want to have Aaron Long around and and, and not have him playing catch-up, coming in late, coming back from alone. Um, and obviously, the Red Bulls would sell him for the right price, but their idea of the right price is not the same as the market's idea of the right price. Because at the age that he is, he's, tw- what is he, 28 years old now? Um, he's just not... He's just not going to fetch the kind of numbers that you're seeing some of these other players fetch just because there's no... If, if Aaron Long was 21 years old right now, he would absolutely be fetching uh, the kind of price that would make the Red Bulls consider it. But at 28 years old, you're not getting that number. You're not getting that 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 fee, that the, the fee that it would take. It's unfortunate for Aaron Long. And obviously, you know, you kind of feel for him because it's been two years now that there have been opportunities, right? And then you say, well, he shouldn't have signed... The contract. He shouldn't have signed the new contract, the one that turned him from being very, very low paid to being one of the better paid center backs in the league, right? So it's kind of the it's kind of the risk you take. It's kind of the deal that you make. And um it's a little unfortunate, I will be honest with you. I mean, I would love to see Aaron Long in, in Europe showing what he can do. At the end of the day, you feel for Aaron Long and you hope that he can make the most of his time with the Red Bulls to continue to be in the content, in contention for a starting place on the U.S. men's national team, and that is that that position is going to be tougher and tougher for him to hold on to, as some of these younger players get these better opportunities. Someone like a Chris Richards, obviously, someone like um, Mark McKenzie, who's now moved over and he's in Belgium and he's already starting for Gank. He's started two straight matches, steps right into the second place team in the Belgian league and is starting. I mean, that's you know, give give McKenzie some credit there. He's doing pretty well for himself. Um, but Aaron Long, you got to feel for him, and, and hopefully, uh, hopefully he can make a most make the most of the opportunity, get back to his best eleven level, and and solidify himself as a starter for the U.S. national team, and hopefully that leads to other opportunities for him. Now moving on to on-field uh, activity for the Americans abroad, Tim Weah. Uh, got his got a start for uh, Lille, the, the current league leaders in in France, by the way, not PSG. That's Lille. They're in first place. Uh, and Tim Weah scores his first goal of 2021 and his first goal in I want to say like six weeks uh, in a win in a big win for Lille. And uh, Tim Weah, you know, he's actually scored in three of his last four starts uh, for Leo. So when he gets in there, he makes the most of the opportunities. It's not, it's a tough, it's a tough battle for playing time. That's a good Leo team. They're playing really well. And obviously when they're winning the way they are, they've won, I believe they won five in a row. It gets tough for a a manager to kind of make moves, uh, to make lineup changes. But obviously with the congested schedule, there's going to be opportunities there. And Timuea gets one, he takes it, makes the most of it. And I I tell you what, I really am looking forward to seeing Timuea be a player who is called in for the March friendlies because he is a versatile player. He can play as a striker. He can play as a as kind of a false nine. He can play on the wing. I think he can play a variety of roles for for what Greg Berhalter wants uh, in his forward line. So 
Uh, if he if he keeps that up, he stays healthy. I think for March, he's absolutely a player that you have to call in. Uh, speaking in a, of another player you want to see in March, Josh Sargent recorded an assist and helped uh, Werder Bremen in their in their midweek match uh, victory in the DFB uh, Pokal. They defeated uh, our boy Julian Green and uh, Grutha Firth, uh, who are obviously contending for promotion in the two Bundesliga, but uh, Bremen knocked them off. And it was actually a pretty decent weekend for uh, a decent week for Americans in the Pokal, DFB Pokal, which is obviously the German Cup. Um, Tyler Adams moved on, uh, Josh Sargent moved on. Uh, Chris Richards and Hoffen- Hoffenheim, Chris Richards' new team, is is moved on, I believe. And then John Brooks defeats Matthew Hoppy, and, and Wolfsburg defeated Schalke. And uh, it was interesting to watch the matchup because Brooks and Hoppy did cross paths at a, a few times. And actually, Brooks uh, Brooks drew a yellow card for a, a it was a soft yellow, but he drew a yellow card for a foul on on Hoppy. And you you kind of could tell that he knew who Hoppy was. He knew that he was an American. Because he, after he fouls him, he kind of like went over and gave him a little pat, you know, kind of little like, 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 you know, like you're okay. Like, you know, sorry about that. Like it was, but it was like, it was a little tender. It was kind of like, oh, look, my fellow American, I'm sorry I fouled you. So it was cool. It was a little, little something, a little something. But um, again, another good game for Brooks and he just continues to play well. And you just knock on wood, hope he stays healthy because he is a, such a huge part of uh, what Greg Brawler is going to want to do once the games get really important come the summer, and come World Cup qualifying. So good to see him continue to play well. Next up on the international front, we have to talk about the Olympics. And apparently, according to reports out of Japan and according to statements from Japanese government officials, the Olympics will be played. And I know there was some reporting uh, just a week ago suggesting that Japan was ready to pull the plug. Uh, the Tokyo Olympics were not going to happen just because of obviously what's going on with the pandemic and the way Japan is, is being hit by the pandemic. And guess what? Japan, Japanese officials came out and said, no, 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 no. We're doing it. We're having the Olympics. We'll figure it out one way or the other. We'll make it work. And obviously, if you're if you're an American soccer fan, you love you love to hear it, right? Um, because obviously, there's so much on the line in terms of the soccer tournaments. Obviously, in overall sports, it, you know you want to have the Olympics if you're a fan of sports. But if you're a soccer fan, you have the women's national team, reigning world champions, reigning World Cup champions, women's national team. They want their gold medal. They want to go win that gold medal. They have the best team in the world by a mile. And they want to go get the gold that they believe they, that they sh- they will get if they actually have an Olympics. So that, you know, obviously that's great. And obviously on the men's side, the U.S. men's national team has yet to actually qualify. They, they'll play in qualifying in, our, in March. But you'd like to think that they will qualify as much as that hasn't been the case in the past. I think this is a little different. This this cycle um, and I've said it. I've said it in past episodes. This U.S. Under 23 player pool has so much more experience and so many more options who are, that are playing regularly. And that's even with all these younger players that are moving abroad that would have been part of the setup for Olympic qualifying, but now won't be. Like Brendan Aronson, like Mark McKenzie, like Brian Reynolds. I mean, all these guys are Olympic eligible. They're all U23 eligible. They've all made moves to Europe, and now they aren't very unlikely to be released for the Olympic qualifying tournament. But, but that's okay, because there's still a bunch of players in the U23 pool 
from MLS who are playing regularly and who should be available. Um, and that's why, and that's really what you saw in the U.S. men's national team's opener against Trinidad and Tobago. If you're Jason Christ, you have to feel really good about the options that you have, especially after watching some of those U23 uh, eligible players in that opening match for the U.S. men's national team. And we will get to that at the end of this episode. Moving on, we have to talk real quickly about the National Soccer Hall of Fame. Uh, final voting is going to go down, I believe, this week on on the candidates, the final candidates to be chosen for the class of 2021. And uh, I am on the voting committee uh, involved in the process. And, you know, we had we had our big uh, we had our big kind of Zoom meeting and it was a a little surreal i gotta tell you uh just the if you could see i'm not gonna name drop but it was kind of a it was kind of it it was kind of like being in in a hall of fame in the hall of fame with the people who were on the zoom call and it was definitely kind of a you know i'm not worthy to be on this call moment but it was it was great to see and and the process to select the hall of fame candidates is going to is miles better much better much more thorough but even with all that, having said all that, uh, I have a feeling people are going to be a little disappointed because I, you know what, the, the, there's only going to be a certain number of people voted in, right? So we could be talking about two players at maximum, and it, there's an outside chance of three. Um, but for me, and you know, I'm not gonna on this. I'm not saying on this episode who I'm voting for because you know we, we're we're supposed to kind of wait at least until next week to say who we're going to vote for or release our ballots. And I'm going to release my ballot once, once we kind of get past all the votes being tallied. But what what I will say is that there for me, and I think for most people, there are three people uh, in terms of the, the player's ballot, there are three players that, you know, it's really, really tough to, to, to me see how they wouldn't make it. One is hope solo. Which it was a joke that she didn't make it last time. That absolute joke. Uh, number two, Steve Trunello, who I who I feel like is you know it, he should have. It's a joke. It's absolutely absurd that he hasn't been voted in, and it's been a couple of years now. Um, that's number two. Number three is Christy Pierce Rampone, and I I feel like this one's. I feel like this is a no brainer. I mean, she is one of the best, if not the best, defender in the history of women's soccer. Right. And I know I'm, I'm, I'm putting the cape on, uh, you know, she's from Jersey. So I'm going I'm to defend. I'm, I'm going to fight for a little bit. But I just don't even understand how there's a debate when it comes to Christy Pierce Rampone. I just don't see it. I don't see how anyone could even think about disputing it. Uh, as, and, and I would argue the same for Hope Solo, although with Hope Solo, there are people who just don't like her and who people who hold grudges and who people who make it about anything but her actual playing career, which if you talk about playing career, there's no dispute there. So for me, in an ideal world, these three players would absolutely be in in 2021. It'd be uh, Hope Solo, Christy Pierce Rampone, and Steve Trundle. And then you get Steve Trundle being uh, being elected enshrined with his with his best friend or one of his best friends in, in the world, Carlos Bocanegra. I thought it was I thought it was a travesty that they didn't get elected in together, but obviously with the pandemic and there being no actual ceremony for last year's class, if Chirondolo is voted in, you have Chirondolo and Bocanegra going in together, which is how it should be. And we'll see what happens. Hopefully that's what happens. And hopefully Clive Charles gets in as well. I'm not on the committee 
uh, to vote uh, for for the Veterans Committee for 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 or for the Builders Committee, I believe it was. Whatever whatever way Clive Charles needs to get in, Clive Charles needs to get in. And if you don't know who Clive Charles is, go Google it. Do your Google searches. Do your homework. Clive Charles is such a huge part of the fabric and the history of American soccer. Touched so many people's lives. So many important absolutely vital people in the game's lives and is such a central figure in in soccer in portland which is one of the meccas of soccer in america he is absolutely a just a fake like unbelievable figure in portland as well so like there's I'm going to get off the soapbox down but look cloud charge should be in i'm not on that i'm not voting on that i'm not on that committee but hopefully the people on that committee Get it right and put him in because he it's it's a travesty that Clive Charles is not already in the Hall of Fame. Moving on to MLS and what what is there to talk about with MLS? The lockout or the looming potential lockout? Is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? We've obviously seen we've seen minute by minute by minute reporting on all aspects of it. We've seen uh, we've seen supporters groups come forward in support of the players. We've seen other. Pro sports team, sports player unions support the MLS players. Uh, That's all well and good, but none of that means a thing at the end of the day. None of that means a thing to the owners and none of that means a thing in the in the process. It doesn't. It just doesn't. I mean, I know it's for PR and the whole nine, but that's all. It's all superfluous. It doesn't mean a thing in the negotiations. Right. The negotiations are are happening, right? They're going, and as of this recording, as of Thursday evening, there's been an extension to the negotiations. They are taking place. They're going. It sounds positive. It sounds like things are going well, and it's gonna get done, folks. This is the whole thing, and that's why, honestly, and not to knock anybody, because it's it's great that we have, uh, you know, reporting on all aspects of this, but it's just. Like, just study the history of this whole thing, this whole process and how it works and how it's gone over and over and over. It same thing happens every time. I know it's a little different pandemics going on and all this and that, yada, yada. It's going to get done. So um, what's interesting is as of Thursday, no deal has been done. But you already have teams out here spending money like, oh, yes, this is over. We're ready to, you know, break the wallets out. And I'm talking about FC Cincinnati. FC Cincinnati apparently, uh, you know, they got the credit card. They got the, you know, they got the, the 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 no limit, the no limit credit card. They got the black card. They're out here spending like, uh, you know, reportedly, reportedly they're out here spending. Um, they've been linked to Pitti Martinez, the former uh, Atlanta United playmaker, who you know obviously didn't have a great time or had a bit of a disappointing time in Atlanta, and then he obviously was sold. Um, but apparently FC Cincinnati is ready to bring him in along with Brazilian forward Brenner. Uh, and that's two big money, potential big money signings for FC Cincinnati. And it just tells me they are not playing around. They realize, listen, we have messed around for too long now. We're building this new stadium. We need to be able to fill. Our team has been trash. We can't. We have We have to get better. We need a better product on the field. So, um it's still a little weird, though, for them to be already. I mean, obviously, they didn't announce any of this. This was just the reporting came out and Thursday night. And now, if they're able to pull off the Brenner, uh, Brenner Souza da Silva, the uh, Sao Paulo uh, forward, if they can get him and Pitti Martinez, all of a sudden you're saying to yourself, this could be a fun team to watch. This could be an interesting team to watch. 
can they defend? I still don't, mm, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to stop anybody, but they'll be a fun team to watch. So that, that'll be a game changer if they actually get these guys, because as of, as of Thursday evening, these deals are not done, quote unquote, according to reports, but these, they're being worked on. And if they do Bravo F Cincinnati, great to see some ambition. Uh, but you know what? It's going to take more than that though, for them to be a serious, serious contender. And in other more peculiar MLS news, uh, Kaku, the New York Red Bulls uh, midfielder, has apparently said his goodbyes to the Red Bulls, and he's made a transfer. He has transferred to a team in Saudi Arabia. He announced it on his social media channels. The Saudi Arabian team announced it on their channels. And you're kind of seeing this play out, and you're asking yourself, wait a minute. Where is the Red Bulls announcement? Usually the team selling announces a sale, right? Only this never happened. And you're kind of, I'm kind of like, what's going on? So I reached out. I reached out to some, some sources. I reached out. I actually reached out to the team. And I'm like, uh, what's going on? What, is there, is he gone or is he not gone? So I didn't hear anything back right away, but eventually I did hear something a day later. And it's pretty much like, no, he's still our player. And I'm like, what? So basically, it looks like we have another incident of a player trying to force a transfer uh, out of a situation where they had uh, extension option years in their contracts and this is the thing this has kind of become this like attempted loophole uh, you know perceived loophole uh, that some agents uh, and some players have tried to uh, you know take advantage of in the past and basically the concept the idea behind it is um, some agents will try to question the validity or the or the you know how 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 much they stand up these option years, you know, contracts with multiple option years with the logic being or the idea being that FIFA FIFA is supposed to frown upon con- uh, contracts with multiple option years. Right. Um, because it, it kind of gives too much control to teams. So you've had incidents in the past in MLS specifically where players have come to a second option year and then tried to bolt and tried to get out because they're like, you know what, if we fight this in court, maybe we'll win. We'll fight this with FIFA. Maybe we can win. And then you get into a whole kind of tug of war. It started with Camilo Sanvezo, the Brazilian striker who was with the Vancouver Whitecaps. He wanted to go to Mexico. He even went to Mexico before any deal was done. Uh, There was, you know, he was on uh, social media with Mexican team, like, you know, doing the physicals. And it's kind of like, wait a minute. He's still Vancouver's player. What's going on here? Um, Long story short, they worked out a deal in the end, but it was very messy. It was a very messy situation. Vancouver didn't really want to sell, but they kind of just ended up having to sell. They got, according to them, a pretty good chunk of change. They got a good price for him, but they initially did. Their plan was not to sell him, but then they ended up pretty much having to sell him. And then we had that happen with Kyle Laren, the the Canadian striker, former MLS Rookie of the Year. Um, he wore out his welcome in Orlando City. And that didn't wear out his welcome. He was just ready to go. He was ready to go to Europe. You know, there, there was definitely interest in him. And he goes to Europe and, uh, or he, you know, he does the same thing. He, you know, his agents kind of uh, push him out the door to Turkey. And there still hadn't been a deal in place with Orlando City. 
in the end, they worked it out. In the end, they negotiated a transfer, a good price, but it was a messy, messy situation. And and I'm you know I'm pretty sure that you know Laren's agents or representatives or whoever were definitely persona non grata around MLS for for a while, maybe still to this day. Who knows? But it was not a it was a messy situation. And now you have Kaku seemingly trying to pull the same thing. And I want to see how this plays out, right? Because the Red Bulls are not just going to let him go. Number one. And I don't know what the Saudi Arabian club is going to be willing to pay for Kaku, right? And the Red Bulls paid, I want to say, $6.5 million when they bought him. And uh, they turned down some good offers for him even in the beginning, like when they first got him. Or they were, there was a lot of interest in him, especially from Mexico. And uh, they kept and they held on to him. He's been, he's been a bit of an enigma, Kaku, right? Because when he's on, right, when he's clicking, when he's really playing at his best... He can be as good as any playmaker in MLS. He's that good, but he's not consistent, and he hasn't been consistent in MLS. And I'll argue that I just have never felt like he's been happy here, not not totally happy. And I'm not saying he was like miserable like Pitti Martinez was clearly miserable at times in Atlanta, but I just don't know. I just never felt like he like he felt completely 100% like tuned in and, and plugged in here. And I think for that reason, he never, never found the consistency that you were hope you would hope for a player that, that with the money that they spent on him. I mean, you know, you look at players like like Pozuelo, Carlos Gil, the the New England playmaker. I mean, those players have come and been consistent, consistently excellent, reliable. They've come through in big games, and Kaku unfortunately just has not been consistent and. You know, it's un- it's unfortunate because, you know, it was there was so much made when he first came. Uh, the Red Bulls obviously were, were pretty excited about the player they were getting. And fans were clearly excited because it was it was a sign that the Red Bulls was re- they were ready to spend on this team. Uh, and he is still to this day the, the only really big uh, transfer that they've made uh, in the last however many years it's been. Um, although Andres Reyes is, is a decent sized transfer more recently, but. It just hasn't worked out. And at the end of the day, they should just cut their losses if they can get a good price. If, as long as the Saudi Arabian club isn't just trying to poach him and take him for free, which I don't know if that's – I don't think that's an option. I think basically the Red Bulls will take it to court and, and fight it to the, the tooth and nail if they have to. But I think at this at this point, I think it's fair to say we've seen the last of Kaku in MLS. Um, just the question at this point now is what's the price going to be? What, what are the Red Bulls going to get for Kaku? And if they sell them, as we all kind of expect they will, then the question becomes, you know, what do they do with that money? Um, who do, who does Red Bull Global find to bring in? Obviously, Caden Clark is someone who's going to take on a more prominent role this year uh, before he goes to RB Leipzig. So I'm sure maybe he's someone that they can see as now having more of an opportunity for playing time. So that, that, that there's something to be said for that. But I still think if the Red Bulls are really going to compete, in 2021, they need to spend. They still need to spend. They need. They need a. You know. They need. I think one or two other. Two. One or two more pieces. Because even with what they have right now, they're probably a lower tier playoff team in the Eastern Conference. They are not. They are not a title contender. Not as presently constituted. As much as their coaches, you know, there's a lot of talk about what a good coach he is and what he's going to be able to do and the system and Andres Reyes. Obviously, I'm. I, you know, I'm a big fan of him as a, as a defender. Um, with a lot of potential, but I don't know. I just don't see it. I don't see the Red Bulls being 
anywhere near being a title contender unless they do go and get one or two big pieces. Unless they do what Cincinnati is doing in terms of spending, not in terms of the type of player, because you know the Red Bulls would never go get a Pitti Martinez right now. Um, but they need to go get one or two players in that that's that type of player if they're going to be a title contender. And now last but not least, we will talk about the U.S. men's national team in their 7-0 thumping of Trinidad and Tobago. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you can't take a ton away from this because it's not like, oh, you know, print the World Cup tickets based off this performance. Because obviously you're talking about a Trinidad team that, you know, they hadn't played in a year. Is this even their full strength team? No, not really. Uh, and they just, they didn't look very, they didn't put up much of a fight at the end of the day. And, and I know I went on record, I feel like I did last episode saying this will be a much better t- challenge than El Salvador. Trust me on that one. And I, I was wrong. I apologize clearly. They were not, a, they were not, they were not, <laughs> they were not a bigger challenge than El Salvador. They were equally bad, if not worse. Um, but still, there were some positives. Clearly, Jesus Ferreira was the was the star of the game. And, you know, he obviously had a real rough 2020 um, just in terms of he went into the year with so much promise. He followed his one time switch. He makes his U.S. national team debut. He looks good in his U.S. national team debut. So then you're like, oh, let's see what he does with FC Dallas now. Big time year, 15 goals tear it up what happens the opposite he has one goal he kind of fell by the wayside he fell out of the out of uh lucci lucci gonzalez's uh pecking order and, and you're kind of like wondering like what's going on what happened is he out of the picture now even for the u.s and give credit to greg berhalter because you know the way the year went and the way you know you no one would have blamed greg berhalter if he had not called in jesus ferrer and obviously Maybe it was Jason Kreis who called in Jesus Ferreira. But one way or the other, Ferreira, Ferreira was in the starting lineup for the U.S. and Greg Berhalter. And he crushed it. What did he have? Two goals and three assists? That's that's. I don't care who you're playing. Two goals and three assists. Very impressive. Playing in that kind of false nine role where, you know, he really takes advantage of his mobility, his vision. Uh, the combination play was great. Um, but although I will say, I, I know there was a lot made about just the whole system and playing with the false nine. I don't think anyone, I think people need to chill out in the idea that this is going to be the new system and this is what Berhalter is going to do from now on. I don't think that's the case, really. I think it's in more of a, a situation where this is something that he wants to look at and be able to have in the tool bag. It's all about tool bag. It's all about, uh, you know, variety of of options, variety of systems, variety of attacks. Um, just as we, we talked about last episode where Berhalter was, would plan, is planning to incorporate more high pressing against, you know, obviously against better opponents. You don't, you didn't really have to high press against Trinidad because they did, they just offered no, they had, they never had the ball. Uh, and it was, there was no need for it and no even opportunity for it. But I think this false nine variation is something else in for the tool bag and you know when you have some of the players like a Tim Weah like a Christian even Christian Pulisic who uh Thomas Tuchel has at time you know now apparently listening to Christian Pulisic uh tell it like he might use him in that kind of role as well Giorena we have we've seen at in spots playing kind of as a as kind of a, a false nine as well uh in for his club so 
that's an opportunity. That's a that's an option that I feel Greg Berhalter wants to have. But I don't think we're going to see a wholesale shift over to that. That's not the case. I mean, obviously, if you had a player who was just that was like uh, the best role for him, then that'd be a little different. But I still think you're going to see the traditional striker, uh, whether it's Josie Altidore, whether it's Josh Sargent. I think you're still going to see that that kind of target striker, someone who holds the ball up. Um, and you could always argue, well, is there a huge difference between a target striker who drops deep and, and, and kind of lays balls off and a false nine who maybe who does similar similar kind of thing? Yeah, sure. You could argue that it's some it's a lot. There's very it's very similar. But for me, I still think someone like Josh Sargent and someone like a healthy Josie Altidore, I think that's who Burhalter is will be more inclined to go with, uh, particularly with the full strength senior team now. You're talking about the U23s. That's a whole nother story because, you know, who who are your striker options? Who are your available uh, target striker options come Olympic qualifying? Now that Daryl DK is going to be with Barnsley, you, you don't have him in the picture. Josh Sargent obviously is not going to play in Olympic qualifying. So then, who do you have? Is Jeremy Abobasi? Is he your striker? Is he your target striker? Um, possibly, but maybe Jason Christ looks at Jesus Ferreira as a potential starting option as a target striker. But we'll see. We'll see. Uh, we, we still have another month to go before Olympic qualifying. But still, if you're Jason Christ, you had to feel pretty good about how some of these U23s played, including Sam Vines. I thought he looked really good as, le- as a left back. Um, obviously, George Bello uh, had a chance to play. But Sam Vines, I think, is when you're looking at it, he's probably your starter at left back in Olympic qualifying. And Aaron Herrera also looked good at right back. He he started over he started ahead of Kyle Duncan, who I, you know, I thought Kyle Duncan had a really good 2020 in MLS, but Aaron so did Aaron Herrera. So, you know, uh, full credit to Aaron Herrera to, for taking full advantage of his opportunity. And how about our guy, Jersey boy, Matt Turner? He didn't have a lot to do in this game, but when he did, when he was called upon, he saves a penalty. He denies the penalty kick. He makes the penalty save. Uh, looks pretty good there. And, you know, I, I feel like I've said it before, but I'll say it again. Or I, I said it, I, I might have said it on another show. I think I was on uh, with Jason Davis at SiriusXM. Uh, we talked after that U.S. game. And I'll say it here. Take it easy with the Matt Turner talk because he's very, very good, but he's still learning. He said it on our show. He said it last week when we had him on. He's still learning. He's still learning the position. He's still kind of young in the position. So he still has a lot to learn, and he's only going to get better. But he's clearly moving up the pecking order. And as much as I know some other people will want to, like, just completely go overboard with some of the proclamations and and all the talk about him, that's all well and good, great for everybody. But for me, I'm just going to tell people maybe, maybe take it easy with what you're already expecting from him because, you know what? His, you know, if he keeps on this trajectory, he has another big year this year. He is absolutely putting himself in that shop window, potentially for European teams and moving up the U.S. depth chart. But he is not for me. He's not anywhere close yet to being uh, competing with or really pushing Zach Steffen for the number one spot. Zach Steffen is the number one, and you know, it, there's a pretty, it's still a pretty big gap between him uh, and and the other competitors. Um, and I, I'm curious, like, is, some, is Brad Guzan still in the picture or is it more Sean Johnson, Bill Hamid uh, in terms of kind of those older, not U23 goalkeepers? Because obviously JT Marsinkowski's looking like the guy for the U23s. You you even have uh, 
David Ochoa, uh, Brady Scott, some of these other guys. But in terms of the senior team, Zach Steffen is 1 and 1A. Uh, but who knows? Maybe a year from now. Maybe. All right, I tell you what. Come the fall, come November, once you get later into the – once World Cup qualifying is rolling a little bit, maybe Matt, maybe Matt Turner at that point is is playing at a level where you're like, oh, you know what? You can make him the starter. You can, if something happens, if something something's going on with Zach Steffen. Obviously, just a year ago, he had some knee tendonitis issues, and that kind of kept him out a little bit. So you need to have options. And Matt Turner, for my money, absolutely will eventually be a starting option. But right now, I think he still has some things to learn and, ter- and some things to work on, Some his distribution he can continue to improve on. Um, he'll get there, but he's not there yet. And I think that's it. I think we've covered every topic that I was hoping to to touch on on this episode of the SBI show. And we talked Americans abroad. We talked Hall of Fame. We talked Olympics. We talked MLS. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy uh, in terms of just touching on all this, all the topics. As I said, I'm, I'm working on, get, I'm working on some guests. And, and now that I have started to kind of get the, get back into the swing of things with the show, well, once I can kind of get these cranked out, on a more consistent basis, then we will absolutely stick to two a week, maybe extend it to three a week, you know, see how it continues to go. I, I, you know, so many plans in the works trying to, you know, add the video component as well. Um, but you know, step by step and hopefully next week we can, we can bring in some guests to kind of spice things up. That's the plan. And definitely with, with episode 300 around the corner, we absolutely will have some guests for that one. So uh, that's all for now. Definitely let me know what you think. Let me know uh, what your take is on some of these topics that we touched on. Uh, and let me know what we didn't talk talk about that you would like to hear me talk about on the next episode. And give me some ideas of who, who you'd like to, to, to see as guests. And obviously, you know who we've had on in the past. If you want to go back and look in the archives, go go in the SBI show archives that go back almost what seven, eight years. It's crazy, right? When I first, when we first started, and obviously we had some breaks in there, here and there. Obviously, the you know the the shows we've had our hi- a couple of hiatuses. I don't know if that's the plural, but we are back for good now. Knock on wood, um, and we're gonna get these. We're gonna get this rolling. So bear with me and and definitely thank you for listening and stay tuned we will be back look for another episode on tuesday maybe monday but i'll say tuesday but uh that's all for now and definitely thank you for listening i'm ivis glarsa and this is the sbi show